This is Mental Work, the podcast unpacking the challenges faced by early career psychologists. And I'm your host, Dr. Brunwyn Milkins. Hey, mental workers, welcome back to the podcast. What we're taught is that we sit in a chair for six hours, we see one-to-one clients, we have a day of admin, and we do everything else on top of that outside of our normal work hours. Coincidentally, we also experience a lot of burnout as a profession. Could the two be connected? Well, we're going to unpack that today and look at how we can build sustainable careers with our lovely guest. Her name is Rebecca Black. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. I'm so glad you can come on and talk to us about this topic. Now, listeners, Rebecca is a clinical psychologist. She works in private practice at Nourish, Heal and Grow Psychology, and she's also a coach at Sustainable Therapists. So really, sustainability is your jam. Is that right, Rebecca? Absolutely. It is my jam. That is so cool. And I'm so glad that we can talk about how we can prevent burnout for early career listeners by building this sustainable career. So not something just that will last us a year, something that will last us our working career, right? Yes. Yeah. And it's so important because we have so many people leaving our profession, unfortunately. So the more we can make it sustainable, the more that we can all stay in this profession. Absolutely. I mean, let me just grab out that stat for burnout. So the research that I've read is that at least half of us, at least 50% are experiencing high levels of psychological distress at any one time. And I think we've also got a lot of emotional exhaustion in our profession. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I've read um, a stat just around like allied health professionals, not just psychologists, of um, rates being up to 80%. Wow. So yeah, post-COVID, of course, there's a lot going on for us. And it's not surprising when, you know, the schemas that we most often see in psychologists are unrelenting standards and self-sacrifice. So, you know, we're in that space of being perfectionistic and go, 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 getting everything done, but we're also giving and giving and giving and giving. So it's, it's a bit of a recipe for burnout. When that comes into contact with our work demands, we've got higher rates than ever of people seeking support for mental health problems. And we're, if we're self-sacrificers, we're going to be like, yes, I can take on five extra clients, even though I'm totally stretched. Yeah, absolutely. And then our wait lists are so big and how are we going to get everybody in? Yeah, it's a real big recipe for disaster in that space. Yeah. And I just want to emphasize the seriousness of burnout because I feel like sometimes we just chuck burnout around and we're like, oh, I'm burnt out. Oh, it's so bad. But it actually is real bad. It's a serious thing. It's like associated with heaps of health conditions and also just lots of psychological distress. And so it's not something that's just flippant and like that we should be like, oh, burnout, not a big deal. Yeah, and I'll just soldier on through it. Yeah. No, it's a really big deal. And I love that you mentioned health in there because something that I've been thinking about lately and I think would be a great research project for somebody is that a lot of the psychs that I come into contact with have chronic health conditions or autoimmune conditions. And you've got to wonder whether that's all connected, right? I think that would be so interesting. Listeners, if there's someone who wants to do a research project on that, let us know. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Rebecca, I'm really interested into how you came into contact with this topic of building sustainable careers for psychs. Yeah, so it's funny we were just talking about health actually because the reason why I ended up in this space is because I have a chronic health condition that I've had to manage 
Um, and I've had that throughout my university degree as well. So it's been around for a long time. And that has meant that I've really had to focus on this to be able to be a psychologist. If I wasn't thinking about sustainability, then I would have had to have left my career already, which would have been really sad. It sounds as though then you were forced then to consider the sustainability of your career. Like you could not do, okay, I'm going to see 10 clients a day for this year and I'm just going to earn a bunch of money. Like that wasn't an option for you. No, no, not at all. And in my first position, I actually have a memory of seeing um, the practice manager's calendar and there was 10 clients booked for that day. And I just remember having a thought to myself of, oh my gosh, I I can't do that. And if that's what this job is, I'm not going to be able to do it. There's no way I can work to that. But there was also another part of me that was kind of like, F that, I am, I'm not going down that path. <laughs> And it strikes me, like for me, my experience was in my first psychology job, it was the expectation to have six billable hours a day. And so that was seeing six clients, often with complex and comorbid conditions, requiring complex care strategies. And you were made to feel that if you did not see six clients a day, that it was something wrong with you, that you were the problem. And it was just perceived as that we are just talking. That's all we do. It's nothing big. It's not a big deal. And because of those schemas underneath that, the self-sacrifices and the unrelenting standards, then we'd push ourselves through. And I remember being quite burnt out in my first year because of that. I just thought that if I can't hack it, then that means that I'm weak and that I need to improve more. Yes. And I hear this all the time because in my clinical psychology position, I work mostly with therapists and most clinicians come in and say, I, I don't think I can do six a day. I don't think I can see six people a day, but I have to because that's part of my contract or that's what's expected. And then I see them doing work on the weekend and work on their days off and work after hours and staying up late and it's it's exhausting. I feel tired just saying that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is something that I really had to work on myself. I found in that first year of practice that I was spending so much of my time outside of work hours preparing for clients. It would be, you know, reading as many textbooks as I could read, um, doing my notes as perfectly as I could do my notes preparing every session with like an essay of what I was going to do in the, in the session. Um, and I remember having supervision with my, my housemate at the time. Um, I was lucky enough to live with another psychologist and we just saw how burnt out I was becoming. And we just had this moment of saying, Rebecca, you cannot keep doing this. There's no way that, that you're going to be able to continue like this. And I was quite resistant to it at the start. I was like, well, I have to, I've got no choice. Otherwise I'm going to be a, a bad psychologist. Like I don't know anything, but because I have the chronic health condition, the reality was I had to step in and do something. Otherwise I really wasn't going to be able to practice. So at that point I started doing some of the behavioral therapy sides of things. So I was putting in into place some boundaries and some time that was set aside just for preparing and I would try to stick to that. I would do a little bit of cognitive restructuring around some of my beliefs and that was all good, like that helped. But what really helped was when I went a little bit deeper and mm. so checking in with myself around 
what would it mean if I, if I actually didn't do a good job? What would it mean if I didn't know something in session? What, what would all of that mean? And the answers that I kept getting for myself was, well, I'd be worthless. I'd be a failure. I'd be worthless. And I, I wouldn't be likable. And I could see really quickly, particularly because I um, started doing schema therapy quite early in my career. So I was making some of the links to my childhood and I could really see that this was just all the messaging that I got as a child from all the experiences that I went through, particularly throughout school. And that was kind of the turning point for me because I could start to consider little Rebecca. I could start to reparent her I could give her the love and care that she needed and I could just see that all all that was happening was she was just scared she was just scared and once I could see that it stopped me from trying to do more and more tasks you know do more be more rush 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 I could actually slow down and see her and take care of her and nourish her through through the process it's already hard like this is a tough job to do we don't need to add any more to that I love that that's so beautiful because what I'm hearing is that the need you identified well the feeling you identified in little Rebecca was a feeling of fear and the way that you were responding to that fear was being like hey little Rebecca you're worthless if you don't know anything that's the overcompensating side and so it sounds like you realized that instead of saying that to little Rebecca you needed to say hey sweetie it's okay like it's scary because there's so much to do here and and you're just starting out and that's all right I think you're worth just as much as you need to be right now. Yes, and and you're enough. You're enough. Yeah. You're still learning. You've got enough to offer already. I heard a really beautiful um, analogy yesterday of this idea of us climbing up a ladder, and you know you only need to be a couple of rungs up the ladder to be able to turn around and reach down and help another person up. Oh, that's so sweet. And yes, and I I thought to myself, oh, I wish I could have given that to little Rebecca at that time in my career, and I still give it to her now. Yeah, you know, we're always there's always further to climb up a ladder, but we can always reach down and help people from wherever we're from. That's beautiful because, yeah, often the concern is like, I'm not enough. I need to learn this therapy and that therapy and this technique to be enough to actually help this person without realizing that we're enough as we already are. Yes. And I often recommend to the people that I see and work with in this space, when we're starting out, it can actually be a really good idea just to focus on one therapy rather than trying to know all about ACT and know all about schema and know all about DBT and know all about self-compassion and mindfulness. And when we're trying to add all of that in, it just, it's just more and more overwhelmed for us. So just start with one, one area and you're still going to be able to help so many people with that area until you have the space to grow again and be able to add more in. I wish I had heard that earlier in my career because I, like you, was doing work outside on the weekends. I was doing so much work preparing for sessions. I think I would spend about an hour doing a case formulation and a treatment plan for each of my clients and I was getting about five new clients a week. So that's at least five hours of work on top of that. And then I was reading all these chapters and I remember one of my colleagues said to me, like, you can't do that, you will burn out. And I remember feeling quite frustrated because I was like, well, what the hell am I supposed to do? Like I need to do this. Otherwise I'm going to feel like I don't know what I'm doing in sessions and these clients aren't going to get the care that they need. And so I wish I had heard you back in the day because I honestly thought that that's what I needed to do. But what I'm hearing from you is that there's an alternative. 
yeah, just go slow. You yeah. don't have to race. You don't have to rush. Just take your time. And you can still learn all of those things, but it doesn't have to be in that first year or two years straight after. It's okay to take your time with it. But Rebecca, what will I do if I have a client in front of me who has a presentation I haven't seen before and I have no idea how to help them? That's okay if that happens, but you can refer on. If it's beyond where you're at, you can actually refer on to a clinician who's got experience in that or you can seek some supervision and get some assistance in that, but keep it to your particular therapy. You can apply most therapies to most presentations. So just practicing staying in that space, getting some help, some supervision, or practice saying no and passing that person on to somebody else because we don't need the extra pressure of trying to learn 500 different presentations all at once because we feel like we have to become more capable and know everything. We don't. So, Rebecca, you sound very level-headed when you talk about this. And I'm just curious, like I heard from you that you had the health conditions, so you really had to figure out a different way. How did you come to be able to restructure how you thought about this? Was this through your own self-reflection or did you have other people assisting you or your own learning? Yeah, so definitely a bit of my own self-reflection. I really enjoy learning about myself. That's just something I'm really curious about. But I also sought my own psychologist and made sure that I worked through my own stuff in that way um, and would often talk to peers about their own experiences as well. And I think I was just, I really feel really grateful for having the chronic condition just because it gave me that extra little bit of warmth and fire that I, I really needed to make a change. I think that spurred me on to go, right, let's look into the research. Let's look into Um, all these different therapies that I know, what are the things that I can start doing that actually make a difference? And so I would recommend people do that without having to have the push of the chronic health condition. (laughs) But burnout can be a space that that pushes us to do that too, to go, I need to make a change. Yeah, it it sometimes does. I found found for me, so listeners will know that I've said in previous podcasts, I've got this unrelenting standard scheme. It's definitely not as strong as it used to be, but you know, pops up every now and then. And as a provisional psych, it was definitely quite active. And it was saying, no, you need to keep on pushing through, even though you're burnt out, you need to keep on going. And again, if I dug deeper, it'd be the whole, if you don't, then that means you're worthless. But a really important message that listeners could take away is that we need to help ourselves know that you're not worthless if you feel something is hard because our work is really hard and also you're just enough as you are. I'm really big on reminding people of how hard our job is. Yeah. I think that's that that context, that understanding of where we actually are is so important because what other job do you know where you, you have to be thinking about, well, you have to be listening to the person in front of you. You have to be thinking about what your next move is, like what the treatment plan is. You have to be holding in mind the person's background history, their entire background history. You have to be trying to make links between that. You have to be thinking about what they've just said and whether it's an important part to pick up on or whether we just leave that for our overall goals that we're focusing on. You have to be thinking about legalities as well. You have to then do your notes and then you've got to squeeze in your self-care and then you've got to do it all again. There's so many elements that it's just a lot, let alone the, the experience of actually sitting with some really heavy feelings day in, day out, again and again and again. 
um, often without much time to give ourselves the space to process what, what we've just been through. So I think we have to hold that in mind that we have this beautiful position where we we have a privilege to be with people um, and be with their vulnerabilities but it is also hard for us and it is something that we need to be conscious of and we need to take care of ourselves through uh, so that we can be sustainable in this in this role. Definitely. And I feel like it's really hearing that from other psychologists is very validating because a lot of folks, when they look externally on the outside, they don't understand or quite appreciate the amount of expertise that goes into the sessions we are conducting. They might hear us say a particular phrase to a client, but they don't understand that we're trying to motivate them or trying to dig deeper or that we're trying to elicit particular feelings or really trying to validate, empathize. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of thought that goes into that chit-chat that yeah. it just looks like. And not, let alone, you know, I didn't mention before, managing our own stuff. Too, yeah, totally. Of course, we, we have our own triggers and we have our own feelings and we have our own stuff that's going on. So there's there's just so much that we're navigating at any given time. Yeah, so it really emphasises the whole we need to be kind to ourselves, right, and have that compassion for our little selves. Yeah, absolutely. Self-compassion is a critical part of being sustainable. We really have to speak to ourselves as kindly and gently as possible. Mm. Rebecca, I just wanted to go back to the over-preparing. Can we just, let's say there's a listener right now who is in over-preparing mode and they are the ones spending the weekends writing their script to present to the client and going through textbooks and they're just feeling exhausted. What are our top tips to help this person uh, not burn out? Yeah, I love that. I would suggest they dive a little bit deeper and ask themselves, what does it mean if I don't do this perfectly? Find out what pops up, find out what's underneath, and then think about what message you need to hear. And so if you're feeling worthless, then you want to target your messages towards that. You know, you are enough just as you are. If you're feeling like um, you're going to be a failure, then you might want to say something like, hey, you're not a failure, you're still learning. You already know so much. Let's just give it a go and see what happens. Give a bit of encouragement. Um, So really just thinking about what's underneath. And if you want to add in some, some other bits and pieces like setting aside a specific amount of time to do that preparation and then seeing what happens, a bit like a behavioral experiment, right? You know, see what happens if you only spend 30 minutes preparing for your week. See what happens. See if you actually prove yourself wrong and realize that you do actually know what to do in those moments. Um, Give yourself a chance. That was the experiment I conducted with myself probably a few years ago now. And I wasn't like, I'm going to wing it and leave all my clients. It was that trusting that I think I've got this. I can come up with a plan for two ideas to bring to a session and then I can see what happens. And that very scary process of being able to trust myself led to me being like, oh, great, I don't have to over-prepare. And often when you over-prepare, I'm sure listeners have found this, but it gets chucked out the window in the first five minutes, like clients come in and like, I can't remember if it was like, you know, eight times out of 10 or something, but it's like I'd come in with this meticulous plan and it wouldn't be needing meeting those clients' needs in that moment. And I'd be like, oh, I've like spent two hours on this but it's like it's just unnecessary yeah absolutely and and someone will come in with a breakup or something like that that will totally derail it and you get through those sessions that you haven't prepared for 
And so recognizing so that you can build that trust. There have been times where I have been able to get through a session without knowing what I was going to do, without preparing for what I was going to do. And it was okay. And the client you know, had some benefits or insights. And if it doesn't feel like that, then you, you take that away too. And you might ask yourself, what would I do differently next time? And that's, you know, a space to go for supervision or professional development. There's always some growth in there. Definitely. I would add, and tell me if you think this is a good idea or not, but getting feedback from clients really helped me. So I remember once I was, grief to me was a really difficult presentation as an early career psych because there is no roadmap for grief. Um, It is the person's emotional coping and processing at their own pace. And so these were my most underprepared sessions as a provisional psych. And I remember once I was doing grief work with a client and then a few sessions later, they told me that things had completely changed for them. I asked them what prompted that change. And they said a conversation that we had a few sessions ago really helped them, like just changed their perspective completely. And when I reflected back on that conversation, I was like, that was completely unscripted. I didn't even know to go there. That was like, off the cuff. And it really helped me solidify that idea that I don't need to prepare for things, but not only that, but sometimes the most therapeutic moments can be those unscripted, unprepared ones. Yes, absolutely. And I I love that so much. I actually notice when somebody says to me in session now, it was something that you said to me last week. Yeah. I'm like, oh, what's this going to be? Yeah. <laughs> it's a really interesting moment. Do you love it when clients sometimes say that and you don't remember saying it and then you're like, I don't think I said that, but I take credit for it anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, that was a good Buddha moment for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow, wise. I'm so wise, yeah. <laughs> yes. um, but, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I actually recommend that people keep a bit of a positive data log. So oh, that's a great idea. When you start to get compliments, yeah, you can ask for feedback. That's great. But often we also get just a couple of gems uh, in those moments, even if it's just seeing uh, clients making progress, keeping a little bit of a a log, obviously everything, keeping it confidential. Yeah. um, But having a little bit of a log that you can go back to of all these little wins that have happened, whether that's how you went in therapy or whether that's how your clients are going in therapy, so that when you're having those moments where you feel like, oh, I need to overprepare, or I'm not good enough, I can't do this, you can come back and be like, well, actually, maybe I'm doing all right. Look at all the look at all this evidence hmm. that that I can do this, that I can do this without overpreparing, and that I'm I'm just capable and have the knowledge. I love that. That's a great idea because schemas bias us to take in particular information and leave us. Out other information. So if we're prone to unrelenting standards or having the thought, I'm a bad therapist, I'm not helping anyone, then having that concrete evidence like, oh, it turns out I do actually help people can be really helpful for overcoming that bias. Okay. So I think we wanted to move on to something a little bit different. We wanted to talk about seeing lots of clients. And I think that this is a personal experience you've had as well, Rebecca, is that right? I have found one of the main things like we mentioned earlier is that we're often expected to see a particular amount of clients per day, depending on where we work. So if we're in private practice, we might have a contract to see a particular amount. If we're in government or not-for-profit, there's often some KPIs that we need to um, be working towards. And this can be a source of burnout for people as well. So I know in my own experience, I was really lucky when I first started out in a private practice role 
I actually negotiated to have a smaller caseload to begin with and to have the flexibility to build that, which I am forever grateful for. Not all places provide that. But I did have to work up to a point where um, my contract was seeing seven clients a day. I remember the moment that I kind of switched into that. I think I did maybe two, three, four weeks of seven clients a day. And I ended up in my practice manager's office in tears saying, I can't, I can't see seven. I was so overwhelmed and stressed. There was just too much to manage. It was really funny because he went through the calendar and was having a look at at my past few weeks. And he was like, you haven't even seen seven in a very kind way. But he was like, you know, it's been five or six because of cancellations. And then I'm crying even more because I'm like, I haven't even seen seven. Oh, no. <laughs> and, and, you know, that I couldn't, I could not do that. Um, so we settled for six uh, at the time and I managed to, to do that for some years. I was able to see six clients a day um, and did a little bit of work outside, um, but not, not too much. And um, that, that was okay for a while. Uh, but then I had a really big drive to work. And after a while, um, once I'd moved, I'd moved and then ended up with this extra long drive, I noticed that then it was becoming too much. Uh, and that was when I decided to make the decision to move into my own practice so that I could um, see as many as I want to see. And I actually now only see four clients a day, three days a week. Uh, and that's what works for, for my own nervous system and my own needs. And I really encourage people to be thinking about that, you know, what's my ideal amount? And I know it's not that easy. I know we have to consider finances and where we're working and all those sorts of things, but it is something that should be on our radar that we just start to hold in mind what would be my ideal caseload, what works for me, because that can be a bit of a guide about where we end up going um, to work or how we end up structuring our work days uh, in future. Can we just talk about, I mean, from a sustainability perspective as well, because I'm going to be addressing this in a future podcast episode where I'm going to be talking about that perhaps tension between financial security and health. But what I see is that let's say you feel able to see seven clients a day and you can only do that for a year and then you find yourself burnt out. I figure, look, you'll have to take a few months off work to fully recover from that burnout, which is lost income. So for me, when I look at it from that perspective, I'm like, I would rather have the sustainable amount of clients. I can go for longer and take the breaks. And to me, that's more financially stable. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I would 100% agree with with that. And I think sometimes this comes down to our values and where we're at at any given time in our life as well with our goals. Um, I know some people have been like, look, I'm just going to do it for six months because I've, I'm building a house and yeah. I want to get the deposit. And if you can do that sustainably, great, go ahead. Um, but I would encourage people to think about, like you said, what are the long-term repercussions if I'm actually going to push myself and do this for a long period? You know, what am I going to end up missing out on? And is it that it's going to cut into my family time or um, I one thing I often hear uh, in the therapy room is I'm snapping at my partner or I'm I'm crying every time I come home. I've got no energy to do the things that matter to me. Um, and is that worth the amount of extra money that that you might make 
if you see that seventh point. Mm, so it really is individualized, values-based in terms of how we build this sustainable career. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Um, and I really like to just think about tuning into our own nervous system, um, knowing what your unique body and mind can do and allowing that without, without the comparisons, without trying to be a particular way or having all the shoulds come in that we can often get with unrelenting standards. You know, I should be able to see seven. Just coming back into what actually works for me. I, I'm curious to know how it was for you. So you used to see six clients a day. You did that for a few years. Now you see four clients a day. Does anything show up for you when you say, I see four clients a day? Not anymore, no. <laughs> so um, I did have to do a lot of work on this. I did feel quite embarrassed and ashamed. Uh, often it triggered a bit of my failure schema. So I'd feel like a bit of a failure. You know, I can't see as many people as, as other people can. But again, I've really learned to be self-compassionate and to be able to say to myself, this is what works for me and that's okay. Um, and for me, the the outcome of being able to live this beautiful, sustained, authentic life is far greater than finances that I might get from seeing several people a day or the feeling that I might get from being like, yes, I see seven clients a day. Um, so it feels worth it for me. Yeah, I echo that because last year I went through the process of trying to work out how many clients can I sustainably see. And it was really, I also felt embarrassed and ashamed because I ended up working out that for me, four clients is a good number for me as well. But I will say, I initially, if I was in a group of psychologists, I would actually lie. I would be like, yeah, I'm saying five, six clients a day. That was that was for a while because I did feel that sense of shame and embarrassment. Like, what's wrong with me? I can only see four. But I was actually reaping the benefits. Like you say, like I loved being able to like get off at three o'clock and then I'd have the whole afternoon. I can do some self-care, some exercise. I can do reading or whatever I enjoy doing. And that was fantastic. But I felt a deep sense of shame. Yeah. And it's this is something that really needs to change on a systemic level for us because it unfortunately is held like a badge of honour. It or is. That, that we need to do. Why is that? I don't get it. Yeah, I know. Well, the schemas, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, but it is. It's almost like it's bred into us. Um, and that if that doesn't change, then we're going to be faced with so many people who just keep pushing and pushing and pushing and burning out and leaving our profession at a time where we really, really need our profession to be here and well and strong because people need us. Yeah, do we want a profession where it's like we're all burnt out seeing seven clients a day or do we want sustainable practitioners who can engage with clients and meet their needs and also meet their own needs? Yeah, absolutely. And I always say, you know, what we're giving to our clients is always going to be better if we're coming from a sustainable place. If we're sustained ourselves, then we can really hold space for our clients. We can. And I mean, if if you've been burnt out, I've been burnt out in the past. I a few years ago when I was burnt out, I started writing down the things that I noticed changing in myself. So I was having this rare period of insight where I was incredibly burnt out, but I was also like curious about it and like what is happening. And I noticed Amazing. that the things I was writing down was like less attentive to clients, less able to give empathetic statements, uh, poorer at rephrasing and restating 
poorer at engaging with their needs in the moment. And that made me feel bad about my skills. So it was like a vicious cycle where I was like, I'm bad. I'm not giving them what they need. And then I was like, I'm so burnt out. I'm so stressed. So for me, just the opposite of being able to be engaged with that client, not burnt out. It's so reinforcing in that positive cycle. Yes. So if this was all part of our training, if we were taught this from the get-go, we would be far more sustainable, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think we would be. And it'd be like, I'm coming to this maybe, so I was registered in 2020. So it's what, two, two years now. And it's been a huge learning process. And I think it's a shame that it's like, sometimes we do learn through difficult experiences, but I find it a shame that it's almost like I had to burn out to be able to learn this. It would be nice if we could have learned this during our training and not have to go through that health harming experience of burnout. Absolutely. And, and when I think back on my experience in masters, I didn't have a conversation at all about sustainable practice. There was not a single lecture that taught me how to navigate this job in a sustainable way. And that's got to change. That's so true. Thinking about this. When I think about that, that's so true. It's like we get the lectures, maybe not even a lecture, but we get taught that you need to be doing self-care. So self-care is what we get. But I would agree that having a lecture or just any information on building sustainable career would actually be far more beneficial because it incorporates self-care, but it also helps us to like be the best we can be in our jobs and in ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And and it can focus on not just the internal work that we might need to do to be sustainable, but also how we can structure and align our workplace with ourselves, again, as, as a unique person with a unique nervous system need, just being able to really do it as an individual. So Rebecca, let's bring it back to the workplace. How would I go about it? Let's say I've got a workplace that is like your KPI is six hours a day. It's seven hours a day. What do I do? Yeah. What do you do? That's a good question. (laughs) I just put Um, up with it and burn out, right? Well, and that's what most people do. Yeah. And so I think this is about having an ongoing conversation. So if you're in that kind of space, you want to start to have a conversation about what things can look like for you. If it is that you need to see, let's say, five, six clients, a day, um, is there some kind of financial compensation that you could have for that so that you could take a day off um, to recover? Uh, is it that they could put your pay up so that you could have some extra time to be able to recoup? I would prefer <laughs> if there could be a conversation around the types of clients that you're seeing because if it's all complex, and I had an experience with this where I was working in a not-for-profit where all of the clients I was seeing were complex, if you can balance that out with some clients that maybe are more suited to your needs at any given time, that can help. Um, so it's not so heavy each day. And seeing whether there is some space where maybe you could see less clients, that would be ideal. But honestly, in those scenarios, sometimes it's about what can I do outside of work that helps me feel nourished? Like where are all the little tiny moments that I can be building sustainability and nourishing myself both inside and outside of work? But maybe we need to look at a bigger picture scenario and is this the right space for me? Um, if, if I'm needing to see six clients a day and I know that that just doesn't work for me, do I need to move somewhere else that can give me more flexibility in that? So it's doing what we can to ensure that our needs are met, but recognizing that if the workplace is unwilling to 
meet our needs, then we may need to consider alternatives. Yeah, which can be really hard. That's a really hard decision to make for a lot of people, especially we're often quite connected with our colleagues in particular spaces and there's often a lot of great things about various spaces we work in, but we want to find the balance that works for us. And sometimes that takes a few goes as well. Sometimes we have to move around a little bit before we find that right balance. And I will say as well for any listeners who this is applicable to, it is an employee market right now. Um, rather than an employer market. So if you're worried that if I move from this job, I won't get a job anywhere else, it's probably not as true as you think it is, unless you're a specific situation and it is true. In which case, like, listen to that. But yeah, I'm just saying that perhaps it could be that you're more employable than you think you are. Absolutely. I love that. It is the right time. If you want to do this, it's a really good time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of workplaces are moving towards trying to be more sustainable and consideration of that, given that this is what we're telling them. So I feel like if more of us can be like, look, it's unacceptable for you to expect me to see six, seven, eight clients five days a week. I cannot enact the self-care practices that I need to be able to be sustainable. If enough of us say that, then we can actually have that systemic change. Yes. So yeah, I would say have a think about that. So I would also add um, one of the things that really helped me manage seeing six clients a day was making sure that I was considering the break time that I had in between. Um, So I know some people prefer to see people back to back and that works for them. And that's great. Like listen to yourself and what works for you. For me, that was not something that was helpful. I needed time to process. I needed time to come down from a session and then allow my mind to go back into the next session I was about to see. I needed time to eat and drink, go to the toilet, all of those sorts of things. And I preferred to wrap my notes up directly after a session. So I had 15 minutes in between each person to do that, including the extra the 10 minutes that I would get from the 50-minute hour. Um, and that was really helpful. And now I actually have half an hour breaks between um, seeing people. And that really gives me some time. I even go out and do some gardening now. Um, That's fantastic. I love how you've become so in tune with yourself and what you need. Yeah. And that, again, that that's just so key for sustainability. It's really about knowing yourself and, and you'll change over time. What you need changes and that's okay. But so long as we can keep in tune with it and keep asking ourselves, what do I need in this moment? What do I need? Um, that really helps us become more sustainable. Yeah, it does. And for me with that, I also have breaks between clients. I've got the, if I do 50 minutes and I've got the 25 minute break, I find that that helps because I find if I sit down for six hours, so if I have to see six clients, if I sit down for six hours, my back actually really hurts. So I need to move around. Like I, I physically cannot. And you probably have, I guess, some experiences with your health conditions as well around that. Absolutely. And I, I always recommend, you know, having a health team around us because we are often sitting for long periods yeah. in our job. Um, so our backs, I'm actually doing it right now. You guys can't see me, but, <laughs> you know, we, we end up slumping forward. Yeah. And so I see a physio and a chiro and a massage therapist because that all really helps my body be able to navigate these moments where we are sitting for long periods um, in a more sustainable way. Yeah, definitely. Well, Rebecca, I feel like we're coming to a close, but is there anything that we haven't given a voice to so far, which you think listeners really need to hear? 
I feel like I could talk about sustainability for <laughs> days and days and days. You're like, but... yeah, everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me keep going for the next three years. Um, look, honestly, I I just really hope that people can see that there is a sustainable way to practice psychology and you can start thinking about it from the get-go. You don't have to burn yourself out before you start making these changes. Um, and so if if you can consider your internal own workings, the things that you've learned throughout your life and your childhood and, and work on that alongside being able to consider your work environment and making changes that are, again, aligned with your needs, that's, that's just such a beautiful place to start making a sustainable change and a sustainable career. I agree. And like from what you've seen in your practice, Rebecca, we're not alone. So a lot of us are struggling with this. Is this right? Yeah, it's so, it is so common. I cannot tell you how many people I have coming in with this. It, it is really rampant, which is really sad, but it can change. And I've done it. If I can do it, you can do it. Yeah. It can change. Yeah. And Rebecca and I, we have your backs, listeners. So we really support you. You don't have to see six clients a day unless that's what you want to do. And you don't yes. have to spend 10 hours preparing for sessions unless that's what you want to do and it works for you. Um, yes. But yeah, you don't have to do these things that we've been taught to do. You can focus on meeting your own needs. That is a-okay to take care of yourself and put yourself first and yeah, you are enough as you are. Yes, you are enough. I preach. I resonate with that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, Rebecca, if listeners want to learn more about you or get in touch, where can they find you? Yeah, so um, you can find me as a clinical psychologist at Nourish, Heal and Grow Psychology or you can have a look on Facebook or Instagram for sustainable therapists and you'll find me there as a coach. Wonderful. We'll have those links in the show notes. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for coming on to speak to us about this really important topic. I'm glad that we could nut this one out. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure. Lovely. Well, that's a wrap, listeners. Thanks for listening and catch you next time. Bye. Hey, mental workers. A quick shout out to the listeners who have recently emailed me with their suggestions and feedback and gratitude. I'm especially grateful to Sarah who emailed a few weeks ago to talk about how the podcast has really been so validating for her. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can email me at mentalworkpodcast at gmail.com. Music.